This is the Future of HR Podcast, Episode 10. One of the standards we had, if you videotaped a business unit president, the business unit CFO, and their HR leader, and they were having a discussion around the business strategy and financials, you shouldn't be able to tell who's who. So we held ourselves to the standard of you needed to be as fluent and as influential as a BU president or a BU CFO. Why do some people have an eye for talent while others do not? How do you develop your point of view on identifying and assessing talent? Hi, I'm your host, JP Elliott, and this is the Future of HR podcast, the only podcast whose mission is to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. On each episode, I interview successful HR executives and thought leaders who are reimagining, rethinking, and leading our field into the future. During our candid conversations, you will learn about their career journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their insights on how to take our field, and most importantly, your career to the next level. Today, my guest is Jim Shanley, who is the founder of The Shanley Group. Since beginning his consulting firm in early 2006, Jim has worked with some of the most well-regarded companies in the world, helping them and their executive teams and leaders drive performance and attract and retain great talent. Jim also co-founded the Talent Management Institute with Mark Efron, which has become the most popular executive education program in the world, focusing on building talent capabilities for HR leaders and executives. Prior to 2006, Jim retired from the Bank of America after a 20-year career where he played a key leadership role in growing the company from a small regional bank into one of the world's largest and most profitable companies with over $75 billion in revenue and 200,000 team members worldwide. During his time at Bank of America and under his leadership, Jim led a team of over 1,500 professionals who earned a reputation as a benchmark company for their HR, leadership development, and talent management program and processes. Jim has an amazing ability to assess and develop talent. In fact, people who have worked for and have been hired by Jim have gone on to be CHROs at almost 50 companies and chief talent officers of over 50 companies. To this day, Jim spends much of his time coaching and mentoring future CHROs. He truly is a legend in our field. In our conversation today, Jim and I will discuss the seven leaders who influence his talent philosophy and leadership style, why the best leaders are talent scouts and how to become one, and the five-question tests he uses to make a hiring decision and why it works every time and much more. Jim, welcome to the Future of HR podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, JP. Thanks for having me. So let's jump into it. In my opinion, the best HR leaders have had mentors who have coached and developed them throughout their career. Who was that person for you? Who influenced you as a leader? JP, maybe I've been lucky. I've had lots and lots of leaders and mentors who have coached me. And as as I thought about that question, actually seven individuals came to mind. And maybe this is like the seven faces of Eve. But what I've learned from great leaders that I've observed is that successful leaders generate energy around them and great people want to work for them. The very first person... Early in my career, I started out in the military. I was an officer in the Navy on aircraft carriers and part of an F-14 squadron. It was my first boss. He was a son of a gun, Harvard MBA, tough as nails. And it was my first chewing out I ever got. And it was a serious one. And what he told me was, expectations are high here. If you want to be good, 
high expectations. The guy was, his name was Andy Anderson. And he taught me about this concept I'll talk about later, the doctrine of completed staff work. The second leader, he was a catalyst in my life as I think about leadership, a guy named Dave Frost. He was the commanding officer of our F-14 squadron. He was an ex-Top Gun CO. This was during the 70s before the Top Gun movie came out. And I had the privilege of living in close quarters on two extended deployments with 20 F-14 pilots. But Dave Frost was our leader, and he taught us how to have fun, how to do the impossible, how to bring out the best in others, and quite frankly, how to be a rule breaker, but stay within the rules. It was an iconoclast. Um, the third was a nemesis. It was my first really bad boss. I won't say the name, but he was a control freak and a bully and practiced insidious politics. And I learned a lot from him. I learned mm. I never want to be like that. Um, mm. My fourth really influential boss was uh, a guy named Hugh McCall, who was CEO of Nations Bank and then CEO of Bank of America. He taught me about winning, about dreaming big, don't worry about being the underdog. He taught me that teams like to win and that winning with friends is really special. My fifth big influence, and he was the wise man in my career, a guy named Chuck Cooley, who was the CHRO of Nations Bank and Bank of America. He was probably the best CHRO I've ever been around in my life. He pushed my thinking and my perspective. He taught me patience and wisdom and how to engineer massive change and how to be a social architect of a big global organization. My sixth, I called my brilliant skeptic, was Ken Lewis, another CEO at Bank of America I worked for. He was reality-based and execution-focused. It was all about driving execution. And I had to change my game to be able to satisfy him. And the four, and the last person, the seventh person that really influenced me as a leader is my spouse, Vera who's my advisor in life. She's a retired pediatric anesthesiologist. And she's what I would call a renaissance woman. She's probably the most well-read person I know, probably the smartest person I know. She's a scientist, an artist, my moral compass. Um, and she always grounds me back to principles. So those seven people influence me quite a bit. And I try to take lessons from every person I see. Yeah, that's an incredible list, Jim. And I think the key piece there is, you know, you can learn from so many people throughout your career. And it sounds like at each phase of your career and personal life, you had mentors and people that influenced you and you were open to those experiences, which is the key piece that I think the you know, next generation HR leaders need to think about is what can I learn from this leader today? Even if I feel like they're a bad boss. Right. What's really important there? I think um, you're right. Not only what you can learn, and that's how you get developed, but what's the role you're playing for other people? They're learning lessons from you. Exactly. And I really love that you brought you know, your spouse into it, Vera. And I think that's so true. They're such an important part of our lives. And we do learn a lot. We don't really acknowledge them sometimes professionally. But when you're in the room and you're thinking about your next career move or struggling at work, your sniffing other spouse is probably the one you're talking to saying, hey, what do you think I should do? And hopefully you've got a great partner in your corner. It's really important. We talked a little about who influenced you from an HR perspective. Talk a little bit more where that came from. 
Yeah, primarily Chuck Cooley, the first CHRO that was great that I worked for. He was a guy that was commercial, strategic, and courageous. JP, he was a role model. And what I watched him do, he always said, you have to have a point of view around the business and the strategy, and you have to be a full member of the executive team and influence the direction of the business. That's who I learned that from, and he was the master. I, really I, hope, I hope someday that I can even approach as good as he was. Well, I think you have in a lot of ways, and at least that legacy is, I think, living on because so many people have been touched by your leadership and the way you approach HR. And that really happened at Bank of America. You were the vice president for talent development, leadership development at Bank of America up until 2006, which at the time was an academy company and really the best place to be in HR. And your leadership team and your function had a reputation for being extremely influential and having a very, very deep bench of talent. Tell me more about that. What was the secret? Yeah. How did you bring that to life? Well, again, first, before getting into the functions that I ran, I was part of a great HR leadership team. It was a cadre of 10 HR leaders that was probably the best team I've ever been on. We felt accountable for everything in the business, every aspect of the P&L. We didn't chase shiny objects and we avoided HR fads and HR frou-frou. It was all about driving performance and results. One of the standards we had, and again, I learned from my teammates and my peers a lot. One of the standards we had, if you videotaped a business unit president, the business unit CFO, and their HR leader, and they were having a discussion around the business strategy and financials, you shouldn't be able to tell who's who. So we held ourselves to the standard of you needed to be as fluent and as influential as a BU president or a BU CFO. And one of our metrics was that we tracked, but we didn't share, how many HR leaders were on succession plans for big line jobs. And that was our key. And we were aligned and we trusted each other with our corporate life. So it was the HR team. And I learned teamwork from having a great group of peers. And then in the organizations I ran, I tried to embody that and instill that in my team. I love the fact that you're saying, let's, if we videotaped business leaders and an HR leader, you can't tell the difference. That's a high bar. Yeah, and I think that's the bar that we should be thinking about from an HR perspective. Because if you really want to be a business leader first, you should be able to pass that test. Talk a little bit more about the team and I guess how you approached talent at Bank of America as well. Because obviously you had a great HR leadership team, but you had a great team as well. That in, is there more that we should know about on how you built that team and maybe what made it different? Well, I, I had a philosophy that we had to impact the business. So in terms of recruiting the team, and this would, would have been from talent acquisition to all of the COEs to part of HR ops to all of the leadership development learning. It was a big, big global team. We had to be very, very good. I was fortunate to have one of the best HR recruiters in the world, a woman named Sherry Weinstein. And I spent a lot of my time during the week interviewing candidates, whether or not we had jobs open or not. So I was always on the hunt for talent. The profile we were looking for, technically very deep in our field, 
they could flex between strategy and execution. So they could not only talk strategy, they could get things done. They were intellectually curious. They were smart and extremely driven. And again, I spent a lot of my time interviewing people around the world and was able to calibrate what's great in our field. That's an important point, Jim, because I think too many hiring managers go, hey, a recruiting's job is to find people. It's like, no, <laughs> your job is to go find the people. And what I have found when I, in one of my last roles, I said, just give me a LinkedIn recruiter access. I'm going to go recruit the team because I know what I'm looking for and I want to make those connections. And people are way more likely to reach out. But I think more people need to do that. But I love that you were talent scouting at all times. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that Sherry, the, my recruiter, was so good at, I traveled a lot. Any place I traveled, she had the three people I needed to meet. And I called them up and said, hey, I'm so-and-so. I hear you're really, really good. I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. And that's, I think that's our role as, as leaders. Any good leader is always in the hunt for great talent. Yeah, that's great advice. And anyone in a leadership role in HR should be thinking about that, right? And even if you're not today in a leadership role, but you want to be and you're preparing for that as a next-gen HR leader, networking is critical. Reach out to people and say, I'm going to be in that city. We don't know each other. Can we grab lunch? Can I buy you coffee? Because that's an important thing to do and build that network. So. Well, and the importance of that, JP, it's you can start calibrating yourself in terms of if you want to really be good, start spending time with really great people and you say, oh my gosh, I've got a gap. I've got to get better if you want to be great in our field and really make an impact. Absolutely. Performance is relative to your peers, 100%. Yeah, Jim, my next question for you is that you are known as somebody who is a talent pro, a talent scout, who is technically you know, one of the best. And frankly, you know, Mark Efron says he's learned everything from you. He gives you a lot of credit for that. How did you get so technically good at talent? Yeah, early in my career, one of my standards was I wanted to be able to hold my own with experts in the field and people who were at the time more senior to me, but were world-class practitioners. And the first step was I got to become technically good. So what I did in addition to, to reading, I sought out experts and I would spend a day or two with them either in their office or many times in their house. And I'd ask them to give me intense tutorials on topics. So I traveled to their home or office, people like Dave Ulrich early in his career, Ron Sharon, uh, Mel Sorcher, Bob Eichinger, Pat Pinto, David Dotlick. And I'd say in eight hours or a day and a half, can you just push me hard on your technical area of expertise. I'd have three or four topics. And they did that. It was very humbling to me because it quickly created a gap where I might've thought I was good. I realized how much more I needed to learn to be really, really good. And I do the same thing with practitioners. You know, what I find people senior in our field, you can reach out to them and say, can I spend an hour with you on this topic? And people in our field are pretty generous. And so what I did in my career, I kept on trying to get exposed to some of the best people and close gaps. There's still a lot of gaps, but continually try to close them. And then I be able to have, you know, 10 to 12 mental models and frameworks around some of our topics that I was able to use. But I had to get technically good 
be able to come up with an uh, with a framework and a mental model to be able to apply it. That is really so smart of you to do that and really built your own masterclass. It shows you have high learning agility and desire to get better. But it's also the humility to say, I don't have all the answers. You've also have a reputation for being a great developer of talent across HR. In fact, people you've hired and worked have worked for you have gone on to be 50, at least 50 company CHROs and at least 50 chief talent officers. So over 100 people. And frankly, it's probably even more than that, Jim, that the impact you've had on folks. So talk about what's your sourcing profile? What was the hiring profile behind that? Yeah, the sourcing and hiring profile, technically very deep. They could lead and follow. They could formulate strategy, but they could execute. Intellectually curious, smart, extremely driven, and they could be a team player. Usually my first screening interview over a cup of coffee, same few questions started off with, tell me about your business and the company strategy. I wanted to see just flat out, were they fluent in that? And then I'd usually ask them, can you share your numbers? And I knew it was going to be a bad interview when they started out with headcount, turnover, and engagement scores. And I knew it was going to be a really good interview when they talked about revenue, margin, net income, market cap, revenue per employee. That's what I got excited about. After we did the first screening interview, we'd bring them in and we had a very, this is my team, had a, we had a very structured process for interviewing. It was, it was tight. We were driving around technical expertise and content and the ability to execute. At the end of the day, we'd come together and if we thought we liked the person, We'd go around and we'd rate them on their technical competencies, their ability to influence top executives. And if it looked like it was a go, somebody would on the team would say, let's do the five question test. And the five question test was this, and we had to be unanimous. This would be the team of whoever was interviewing. And the five questions were these, would she work for you? One of the philosophies we had was that if you join the team, we were growing and reorganizing so much, you could look to your left, look to your right, you might be reporting to that person. So mm. would the person be humble enough that they could then follow you? So would she work for you? The second question, would you work for her? Because we only wanted to hire people who everybody else said, I'll work for them. The third is, would you trust her with your corporate life? And it was on three pieces. Would you trust her to deliver on their commitments with high quality work? Would you trust her not to have a personal agenda? And would you trust her to represent the function in HR with integrity? Would you trust her with corporate life? Fourth, would you learn from her? Is she going to bring some expertise we don't have and we're going to get better? And then finally, would she be fun to work with? And when there was a unanimous yes to those five questions around the room, we knew it was a great hire. When there was not unanimous and we still hired the person, more often than not, we found a problem. That's a great rubric for kind of assessing that talent. Obviously, they already have the chops, the expertise. They're bringing something to the table. 
but where I think you take it to the next level is really thinking a little more broadly about that person in the business, the impact they can have long-term. And is it a culture fit? And you've kind of defined culture fit in a few different ways, especially thinking about putting someone's career in the hands of someone you've never worked with is a pretty high bar. Yeah, what, one of my goals, JP, was that my function for Bank of America was the feeder source for a lot of HR talent. And I wanted to hire people that would become my peers on the HR leadership team. And that was my goal. And that was probably one of the things I was most proud of, that when I retired, most of the HR leadership team at some point worked in the organization I was part of, which was pretty cool. That's really cool. And, you know, a lot of leaders say, oh, I'm going to hire people smarter than me. But most people are very afraid to hire someone who's better than them and a different skill set because, you know, look, it's, it could be threatening. But I love that you were putting that really putting that forth. And you obviously had the platform of growth behind Bank of America where you needed that leadership, right? Not every company has that, but it is the great philosophy. How do I find people who could actually take over my role and develop into that? I think that's a sign of a very mature and confident leader. What was your talent philosophy regarding your direct reports? Yeah, again, I just had the privilege to work with some great, great people. Um, myself, but as a team, we're unapologetic. You had to be an A player to be part of my direct report team in both the Watt and How. Full stop. You had to be an 80th percentile performer as compared to everyone else in the world at the salary we were paying the person. And we were unapologetic about that. And we're unapologetic about we'd reward people with both financial rewards and opportunity in a very differentiated fashion. Those were the bedrocks. And we were comfortable with the concept of Brad Smart's top grading, that unless you were that A player, it didn't mean we were going to fire you but you were not going to be part of that leadership team and would find another role for you in the company or another role outside the company. You had to be a top performer. Well, you've always had a high bar for talent and you've always held that, that great bar. And I think that's really does separate a lot of leaders, right? We have to have a high bar. I mean, you're not going to be a great leader unless you have a high bar for excellence for yourself and for your team. It's critical. Let's talk a little bit more about career advice for next-gen HR leaders. And I think people who picked up the podcast and, and are excited and listening today are really, they're focused on how do they get developed and go faster, farther, you know, and make more impact. So I, what differentiates the best HR leaders from the rest in your perspective, Jim? Yeah, I love this. I always have all the time in the world uh, for someone in HR who's earlier in their career that asks this question and are serious about it. Here, here's the advice I give them, JP, what differentiates the best from the rest. They're intellectually curious and they don't chase fads. They display the business acumen, financial acumen, and the strategic chops of a senior line executive. There's no excuses. You can go on Google and in one month become expert on a P&L and balance sheet. You want to be part of a high-performing team. And early in your career, if you get to hire other people, you're hiring A players. You set the bar really high. And you're curious to go out and look at what does great look like in our field? They try to figure out what are the best do. So I always say, who are some of your current heroes who are the best HR leaders in the field? And you know, figure out why do people like Carol Surface Kevin Cox, Lucina Alzieri, who are some of the best of the best 
CHROs in the world. What do they do? What's the career they've had? Um, you know, a common characteristic of those HR leaders I just named, and Lucien Alzieri uh, asks this a lot, if the CEO met you in the lobby and said, ride up in the elevator with me, and that CEO asked you, what is HR accountable for? They'd have a very clear answer. And the answer is, HR is accountable to ensure we have the talent and capabilities to win, full stop. And the focus is on winning, being financially successful, executing the strategy. And we did it through great talent and capabilities, but we're personally accountable. That's some of the advice I give. And then, you know, the they usually ask, well, what if I want to get promoted at an accelerated mm -hmm. pace? What if I want right. to go far and fast? Um, I use Mark Efron's language, possess a perf high performer's mindset. I've told more young, early in career HR folks, read Mark Efron's book, Eight Steps to High Performance. First step, if you want to go far and fast, you got to be a high performer and realize, you said it, JP, that others will look at your performance on both an absolute and relative basis. So be one of the best. Become a business junkie. Know the business, love the business. If they're early in their career, I usually advise them, get good at an aspect of HR. And then once you're really good in one part of HR, get a variety, diversity, intensity of experience through HRBPs, other COE roles, other HR operations roles. I also recommend treat your boss as your most important client. Do everything asked of you and then ask for more. Your boss is going to have a differential amount of influence in your career. Treat your boss as your most important client. And if you have a bad boss, get a new boss or leave the company. Um, you know, I said this earlier, and I hope people, if they're listening, will Google this. It's called the Doctrine of Completed Staff Work. People who have worked with me over the years, I still go into companies and I hear these really early in career HR leaders say, we believe in the Doctrine of Completed Staff Work. It was that first piece of advice on that aircraft carrier that a senior leader gave me when he chewed me out. Um, another piece of advice, JP, is I say, be consistent in your relationships and how you treat people. Uh, whether or not boss, bosses, boss, peers, subordinates, most junior people, junior person, be consistent. Um, some people don't like to hear this, but I, I say don't be high maintenance. Don't get hung up on the unimportant stuff like title your office size. Continue to build functional depth and breadth and have fun while you're doing it all. That's a That's great, great list, Jim. Talk a little more of the completed staff work a little bit. Talk more of what that really means. Well, you, you can look it up. It's a one-pager. It's from the military, but it's basically don't ever give your boss a problem. Come with a solution that's well thought out, that demonstrates you've looked at options, and you have a recommendation. Now, the boss may say she doesn't like it, but give your boss the completed staff work that either they can say yes or no. Don't, great, let, great. don't put problems on your boss. 
When you think about wanting to move fast, for people listening, no, it's not easy. This is not going to be easy. You're going to have to do a lot of things very well, right? You're going to have to play well with the team. You're going to have to perform at high levels. You're going to have to do more than's being asked. But I wonder, as you think about our current state of HR, what do you see is working well? What gives you hope? And what are some things you're maybe concerned about in terms of this next generation of HR leaders? Yeah, at JP, as you know, uh, Mark Efron, Zach Upchurch, and I run the Talent Management Institute. And we've seen it's upward now of 6,000 HR leaders throughout the world that we've spent with them multi-day kind of workshops. And there are some HR leaders that are just fantastic. And that really encourages me. But I'm also concerned that many, many of our teammates in HR are not fluent in their company's strategy and financials. They can't explain their company's P&L and balance sheet. They're chasing fads and shiny objects, and they're not focused on the most important things. What do we need to ensure that this company wins? Do we have the talent capabilities to do it? It, it concerns me a lot. There's a lot going on in HR that has very little to do with the performance of the company, and that concerns me. Yeah, that's a great insight. And one more question on that, Jim. Let's talk a little bit about fads. When you talk about fads, what are you the what are the fads you're seeing or you think we need to be avoiding in HR? Well, I'll I'll turn off a lot of your potential listeners, but um when I hear HR leaders when they're talking about a sense assessing other leaders around performance and potential, saying things that are just not science-based in terms of how they evaluate people, um, I get concerned. I get concerned around the over-rotation on things like, I need to show up as my authentic self. I think authenticity is absolutely important, but you need to play the role you're given. And sometimes that means you might have to flex in different ways. You know, a lot of the work on growth mindset is misunderstood and not used. There's a lot of stuff out there, JP, that, you know, a lot of the strengths-based leadership, most people don't understand it and are misusing it. Mark Efron, who I've learned a ton from, talks about science-based simplicity. There's a lot of things going on in HR that are not science-based and not grounded in research. I think it's a great reminder. We need to be careful consumers of what's being put out there. And I think also think about the source. There are many consulting companies will put out a white paper or some research, and they might not even say it's academically correct, but they're going to tout their findings. And we need to take that with a grain of salt, right? I define fad this way. If you're doing something that's not driving business performance, it's probably a fad. And if you're doing something that's, if you want to do a learning development program on growth mindset, you know, it's a cool concept. Great. But acknowledge that you're probably not going to drive the business with that. And that's okay. But just be careful how you frame it, right? Yeah. Interesting. One of the best habits I learned from some great HR leaders that I've worked for, they said, when you're pitching a program or a new process, start out with this. Let me demonstrate how this is either going to increase the top line, increase the bottom line, increase our productivity. If you can't answer those questions, be really careful what you're asking for. I love the way you summarize that. Thank you, Jim. 
One last question for you. What is the one word or phrase that you believe will define the future of HR over the next five to 10 years? My one phrase is relevant. And I'm optimistic about that. I hope HR is relevant because we're focused on driving company performance and helping the company win. Great, great word. Relevance is important for HR. Jim Shanley, you are a talent master and a talent scout. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, JP. Thank you again for listening to this episode of Future of HR podcast. My thanks again to Jim for sharing his insights on how to identify and assess top talent. As always, you can go to futureofhr.com to view all of our past episodes and learn more about our mission to inspire the next generation of HR leaders. We'll be back next week with James Fripp, Chief Equity and Inclusion Officer at Yum Brands. In our conversation, James and I will discuss why you should seek out mentors who are different, not similar to you, how to build authentic relationships that lead to trust and a culture of belonging, and how new Chief Equity and Inclusion Officers can make an impact in the first six months in their role. Thanks again for listening to the future of HR and being part of our community.